I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And hello and welcome to History Rage, a new podcast where we invite members of the historical community to get angry, to get a few things off their chest. I'm public historian Paul Bavel, and can we all take a moment to welcome back Kyle, who for the past couple of recording nights has been trekking his way through Crete. So welcome back, Kyle. Yes, thanks for having me back. You're not going to get rid of me quite that easily. I need you back here week in, week out, Kyle. You do not get away that easily, but thank you very much. (laughs) Welcome back. And joining us this week, we have Second World War historian, battlefield guide, and commander-in-chief of the World War II TV YouTube channel, Paul Woodage. Hello, Paul, and welcome to History Rage. Hello, and thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for joining us. Now, I mean, we first met at Chalk Valley History Festival a couple of years ago, and I know that Kyle has been a guest on WW2TV before, but for listeners for whom you are completely new, tell us about yourself and, you know, the work that you do and the channel that you've got. So very simply, I've been a Normandy battlefield guide for 20 years, and the work stopped when COVID came along. So I had to find something else to do, essentially. And I knew a lot of people, authors and historians. I thought, why don't I chat to them and put it on YouTube and see if people want to watch? And and it, I did. And people have been. And it's got to the point now where it looks like it all had a kind of a plan at the beginning, and which it didn't. It was accidental. But I'm <laughs> at the point now where I'm I set up these theme weeks where I tackle a subject this week. We're in the middle of recording codes and code breakers. So I've got five guests on five consecutive evenings, li- always live. They come on for an hour or so, and we, we talk about their research, be it for a book, be it for a website, be it a family member. And we kind of do what I call deep dives, but not too deep into, into subjects, kind of picking up the stuff that the regular TV channels would cover, but only in kind of basic detail and go to a level of detail that interests me and then hopefully the audience will find something cool, uh, which they seem to. Yeah, I mean, you've had you had Kyle on um, Special Operations Week, didn't you? Covering yeah. uh, yes, covering Crete. Yes, from resistance. Yeah, he did. He did what was going on in Crete, and um, and I will be retaining that subject in due course. In fact, I want to return to Crete uh, metaphorically yeah. uh, and and tackle that subject because it's it's something that interests me. So yeah, and I, and I like particularly to bring in people who have different levels of experience from different backgrounds. So on one day, I might have a 
published author of 30 books who's a well-known TV, you know, talking head. The next day, I've got someone who's second year of their PhD studies who's at the first rung of the history ladder. And the next day, just an amateur who runs a website. And I like giving voices to different sorts of people because the more different voices you you hear from, the better the understanding of the subject, I believe, uh, then becomes. Yeah, and I do have have to say at this point as well, having watched a fair few of these, hats off for the just sheer courage of that Holocaust week. I mean, that was was terrifyingly dark. And it is a subject that, you know, people, you go onto YouTube, you you listen to podcasts, you listen for entertainment, you you don't go onto it to be harrowed and to be be upset. And yet you embrace that. Um, I particularly watched the one that uh, Alina did, and I've I've yet to go back to, to watch Dr. Waltman. But yeah, I mean, talk to us a little bit about sort of Holocaust Week and how that worked for you and how you felt about doing it. Well, yeah, as, as you, you hit the nail on the head there. I wanted to talk about it, but I wanted to do it kind of with the gloves off and, and really, really talk about exactly what happened to people when, for example, Zyklon B was first used at Auschwitz and what reaction it had on people and what what was it, the experiences of those who were doing it and perpetrating it. And I think a lot of documentaries end up there's lots of implication. They they assume the audience knows mm. the, the, what happened, and they don't. They feel the the need to not show that on screen or not to. And I I kind of jumped in and actually explained it all. Um, and it was tough to to host, and and it was a bit tough to deal with it. And the rea- the reaction was initially a bit kind of slow from the viewers, but then it picked up. And I think yeah, it 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 was right to do it. And I was exhausted after the week, and it, I felt I'd kind of cliches you know the emotional roller coaster but i think people got something out of it and there were some uplifting shows as positivity particular show i did with the with the the daughter of an uh, of a a holocaust survivor and the grandson of an ss perpetrator and 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 the the work they do to educate the public was was somehow uplifting uh within a week of i say very downbeat subject there was some positivity coming out of it so it's um yeah, I was very proud of that week. I think if any if anything I've done this year would be part of any kind of legacy, if that's a big word, I think that week would be something I'd like to be if my channel carries on. People go, Well, that Holocaust week you did there, Paul, was was good. So um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you should be rightfully proud of it. And you. you know, guys guys out there that are that are listening to this, we're gonna put links to the channel in the show notes. And seriously, even if you're you know, even if you're not a fanatic of the Second World War get a few of these watched and a few of these listened to because the just insights and the new stuff that you pick up from it is absolutely phenomenal. Well, thank you very much. But, the five is in the post. You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, go, moving from, you know, that, that which you love doing to, to that which you hate the most of. Um, History Rage is all about the rage. So please, Paul, do tell us. What, what is the one thing that you wish people would just get over or just stop believing? It's very simple. It's the fact that people come to Normandy, where I live, with this idea that the landings on Omaha Beach were this bloody disaster that that was somehow uh, the worst of the war and it killed millions of people and it was a tragedy and, and losses and because it's patently not true. And that is the thing that I, yeah. I, I do rage mm. about. Um, but I want to just, right at the beginning, get the caveat in that anything I say about Omaha, of course... My respect is there for those who did fall, for those who didn't survive that day, for those who were casualties. But there is 
a kind of a, a level of looking at it where you have to be analytical about it and unemotional. And I think when we get into the conversation later, it's that crossing over of understanding the reality of the history and the emotional understanding of it has, has confused the issue somewhat. Yeah. So, so everybody is thinking, you know, Omaha Beach, the, the ramps go down. It, it's a, it's an absolute massacre. Everything that can go wrong does go wrong. Um, and we're, we're almost back to the anthem of doomed youth that we see in the Somme mm. with, with the attitude towards. Um, and I, I can be as guilty of this myself as well. You know, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a D-Day historian, but I'm also, I'm also, I'm also a presenter and there, there's a certain, element of d-day that does kind of need to be sold to get your audience in Uh, but broadly speaking why do people think that d-day and omaha beach in particular was this bloodbath is it just is it literally just saving private ryan and that opening few minutes that everyone goes back to or is there more to it than that it is that and it's video mm. games and Call of Duty and, and that. But it's also essentially, if we break Omaha Beach, let's say, into 10 chapters, it's the people only look at chapter one and chapter 10. Chapter one being the first wave, those very first men in the first landing craft who do hit at that time an empty beach. The German firepower opens up and a lot of that first wave are killed and wounded. And the chapter 10 is the the visit everyone does when they come to normally to the american cemetery overlooking omaha beach where they walk among the crosses and stars of david mm. but actually chapters two through nine are the fact that second and third waves on omaha beach and con- the consequent in, um, waves things got better very very quickly um and and that kind of whole area has has kind of been ignored and part of that is the industry that i am part of being responsible for that because the, the standard way to come and see the D-Day beaches for the average American visitor is a day tour. So you do San Marigli's airborne paratroopers in the morning, Utah Beach late morning, Point to Hawk after lunch, Omaha Beach, Bedford Boys, one of the yeah. units that was was experienced the tough mm-hmm. uh, first wave landing. And then you move on, look at a monument, and you go to the cemetery. And it's about the fitting of a tour to a schedule as opposed to fitting the required history to what the visitors should take away from it. So we've been forced, in a sense, to, to, to cram the story into, a, into a, a number of hours that doesn't allow us to actually explain the events properly. So my own industry, myself included, have been part of the, the, the problem behind my own rage. So it's, in mm. effect, it's a self-inflicted <laughs> yeah. wound You've in many ways. You've done this to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You've let yourself down, Paul. Really, I have, yeah. I've let me down. Yeah, I've let all the listeners down. I've let the world down. Yeah, we're no, not angry. Yeah. We're just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we've got this chapter two, three, four, five, and so forth of Omaha Beach that does tell a very different story, then well, here is your opportunity. Yeah. So, okay, let's let's get a bit of the reality there. Yeah. After the ramp drops, what happens on Omaha Beach, or even before well, the Germans open up? I mean, the the the, the, the Germans had brilliantly sighted weaponry with enfilading fire machine guns although they weren't all mg42s folks that's a, that's a, another <laughs> thing we'll get that one out of the way there's lots of old polish stuff 1908 german weapons um artillery opens up what have you but essentially the german plan necessitated wiping out the invasion at that very first moment and despite the 85 percent losses killed and wounded amongst the first wave it wasn't wiped out completely and within five, ten minutes, the second wave comes ashore. 
Um, and the thing is, the Germans have now expanded a hell of a lot of the ammunition because some of those positions that the, there's the ones that everybody goes to, and there's ones I know about where you kind of crawl in over old hobo mattresses and things like that and get to them. You see the recesses in the walls for how much ammunition these positions could actually store. And maybe they had a few more boxes in the, in the room behind, but it's comparatively few. Some of these machine gun positions had space for, I don't know, 2000, 3000 rounds. Now you guys know how many rounds, whether it's an MG42 or an 08, it doesn't matter. Machine guns use a lot of ammunition very quickly. And yeah, fact, that's yeah. about three or four minutes tops. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. if you're firing, yeah. of, of course they fire in bursts. Of course they are trying to aim. But the point is, metaphorically speaking, is after that first wave hits that white wall of steel that hits them and the smoke clears literally and figuratively and the Germans look down and go, shit, there are still guys down there alive on that beach. And they see, as you would have done from Omaha Beach, approximately 3,000 more ships and landing craft behind that first wave who are still funneling more and more men in. And you get to the point by even as early as the mid, at mid-morning on, on June the 6th in Omaha Beach, where units in certain places of the beach are almost walking ashore to no gunfire at all. And, and they're pushing up the bluffs, some of the positions have been taken as early as 8.30 in the morning, so two hours after landing. And at the end yeah. of June the 6th, the point is, is the losses on that beach were comfortably within what anyone would have anticipated when you do amphibious landing against an enemy-held coast. And the disaster aspect, as you said there, Kyle, has probably come from semi-private Ryan, which has, has this given us this idea of these blood-filled sandbars and ridges of sand there and the bodies washing up and upturned helmets. And and it's not that that isn't true. That did happen to the first wave. They're just failing to get across that the second, third, fourth progressive waves didn't yeah. have that same problem. Yeah, there's hours and hours of this battle. It's not just those... Yeah, it goes on the whole day and beyond. It's, it's not just the case of that single... And this is very similar to kind of what Peter Lyon was saying, a... Um, a couple of episodes ago, it's like when he was talking about the Battle of the Bulge. He said everything focuses on one bit of the Bulge, but actually, yeah. there there are whole there 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 are whole different divisions, positives, negatives, environments, and and this sounds very much the same thing. But okay, so if we accept it's not a disaster, but and I know this is something that you've you've wanted to expand on further. Do we agree that Omaha is a, is the worst of the five beaches? that's there i mean it's it's not the hell everybody thinks it is throughout the day but it's still hell it depends by how you your the parameters you use to define worst because juno beach is the one i i like to talk about because proportionally speaking a much smaller force on juno but percentage wise more canadians died on juno in on on june the 6th than americans died on omaha beach obviously more americans did die but from a much larger force the accepted figure these days and it is changing the national d-day memorial in bedford virginia are are still processing documentation joe balkowski my friend historian did a lot of work but the accepted figure for fatalities in omaha beach is in the 900 or so area of a landing force of well over thirty thousand who came ashore that day. Juno Beach, 
when you take away the British who are there because they were part of the Juno Beach landing as well, you're talking about 370, 380 killed on Juno Beach of a landing force of about 11 and a half to 12,000. So if you do the maths on that, you will find that the percentage is slightly higher on Juno yeah. to Omaha. Ooh. Now, more wounded on Omaha. So if you're counting casualties, it changes again. Now, if you're talking worse speech in terms of the number of German weapons that sat behind it, that's sword. Um, so it all depends on when you're explaining these events, be it in a book or a podcast or a YouTube video or a video game or whatever, you've got to set your rules. So how are we how are we defining worst? And that's when I feel I get a bit geeky in that. But it's very important to kind of, you know, the rules of engagement, so to speak. So it is definitely not the worst in terms of fatalities. It's definitely not the worst in terms of the number of German defenders. Even the yeah. description of the German defenders gets complicated because it seems that the history world cannot decide, cannot agree. They want to either call the German defenders their elite or hopeless. And neither <laughs> of those are true. It's they're somewhere in between. They're, they're not some, they're not, you know, the, um, the battle hardened Russian front guys, the 352nd division we're talking about. Some people say, but neither are they the badly trained, never held a rifle, don't know what they're doing, old men with stomach ulcers that some people say they are this is one of the things that always puzzled me because you do you do get this attitude of you know taking on the germans in again yet yeah, we're fighting the hitler youth and we're, we're fighting poorly trained people and constantly they you know they were still the wehrmacht they were still there you know, if you watch the you know if you watch the world at war and they have interviews there with franz gockel who you know, was I believe was on oh no, one of he was, was manning yeah, one of the defenses friends, yep, at um, nice at uh, uh, at Omaha, and you know he he talks about his experiences there. But he he was a soldier. He had been through basic training. He knew how to fight defensively. He knew how to man the weapon. You know, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah, all across. You know, these Rommel for all his faults is not going to leave an untrained band of people on the frontier where he is expecting the invasion. And frankly, if someone else has worked out the field of fire for your weapon and you are in a concrete bunker and you know where your weapon is far and you know how to unjam the weapon if it gets jammed, you know how to put ammunition in the side of it, the back of it, whatever it is, do you need to be much better? Do you need to be able to do anything else to do that job well? You can you can kind of chain up a chimpanzee yeah. to sit behind yeah. a machine gun if it's on a if it's on a tripod firing on a trajectory it's it's you know how much do you nearly need to have uh, ability do you have have to have to be to be in the situation it all comes down as i said a minute ago about how much ammunition the germans have that's that's where the german plan falls down more so than their abilities yeah one of the things that we you you always hear and and I will be cards on the table here. I don't know if there's any truth to this at all, but what you always hear with regards to D-Day, particularly Omaha Beach, is the the DD tanks. Yeah, you know, mentioning no particular famous historians. Yeah, you know, it's all about rolling off the LCTs, capsizing, sinking, and you know, they 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 just don't get any tanks. I've seen photographs with tanks on Omaha Beach, and what is the reality there? Well, what again, is the deal with the DDs? Can, can you also explain explain what a DD tank is for our listeners who don't know? Okay, yeah, well, so a DD tank is a Sherman tank that has flotation screens that are erected on a, out of canvas and aluminium around the side of the tank, propeller at the back, uh, kind of a, a, a wading, um, kind of breathable kind of 
periscope thing and basically they can drive off a landing craft a couple of miles away from the beach and the pocket of air that's held within the screens means it's buoyant it can float you get to the beach powered powered by the propellers you drop the canvas screens and you've got your armor on the beaches and sherman dd tanks or duplex drive tanks were used on all five of the landing beaches and the particular story that is always remembered, which is the one you're referring to, is that one battalion to the left of Omaha Beach, so the, the eastern end, the 741st Tampatan, did release their tanks a bit further away from shore than they were supposed to, and 27 of the 29 tanks sunk on their way in. Um, what they tend to not mention is, is the visibility of the coast was very difficult because of the smoke from the gunfire and low cloud, and they weren't able necessarily to judge their distance from the beach very well. Um, that doesn't always get overlooked, uh, mentioned. But the, the thing that definitely doesn't get mentioned is there was another battalion to the other end of the beach, the 743rd, and the 743rd recognized that the conditions were a bit too rough, the visibility wasn't wasn't great, and they brought all of their tanks, I think bar one, it was 29 or 30 or something onto the beach directly off the landing craft and they provided massive firepower eventually to the to the west end of the beach and on the east end that we talked about where the dds were lost there were other waves of tanks coming in again it's all about second and third waves yeah. that were coming in directly off the beaches some had bulldozer blades on the front some had this and so within an hour or two on omaha beach there's all sorts of armor on omaha beach but the way it gets sold in the other in the documentaries that we don't mention is that yeah. they lost all the tanks and it's not that they didn't, they did lose the tanks they talk about, but they don't mention the other tanks. And again, mm. it's, if you talk, if you use a chapter analogy, they've, they've told one chapter, but not done the ones that followed. It's the same, same principle. It's a simplification of the subject. Yeah. Really. They lost all of those tanks, but those yeah. tanks are only a small part of the overall picture just on that beach. Never mind the entire battle. Yeah. I yeah. think it was 140 D, D, DD tanks on D-Day, something like that. And I think 35 or something were lost. Something that may, yeah. that may not be the right maths on that. But essentially, a lot more of them did arrive than didn't. And they were just the, the swimming tanks. There were other tanks coming ashore. So you have the Funnies, Hobart's Funnies, famously on the British and Canadian beaches. And there are other waves of arm on Omaha Beach and indeed Utah Beach. So the, the single loss of one unit's DD tanks has been used to to kind of be an example of the whole story, which it isn't, and often gets used to kind of beat whoever the the, the presenter mm. of this story wants to beat with a stick. Is it the American Navy's fault, or is it if if they can, they will try and blame Monty for everything. If if in doubt, blame it on Monty. Mm. It's kind of the rule of a lot of TV TV makers. So yeah, yeah, yeah there, there's a nuance to the story that doesn't get that doesn't get covered, and that's again, it gets it, 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 that's where the rage comes from. Is that you see these things being these same myths being perpetuated, and you just want to go, why don't you just read some bloody books? You know. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. of course, like we're asking here, you know, you get to a battlefield tour and it's it's going to form fifty percent of the questions that 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 you get asked. Yeah, uh, I wonder how you stay polite sometimes. <laughs> well, actually, after I, I've seen you in action, sometimes you don't. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, one of the things. I mean, I've I've I counted up how many normally normally tours I've done couple of years i did the maths on it and i think i've done some of the stories about 1500 times before so after a while though you're trying to be um polite and objective if someone really really goes on about something that they believe that you know is wrong and they're stubborn about it it, it can be a bit you know because they will they will use that as their source to prove me wrong a movie or they'll use a yeah. you know a youtube thing they saw or a 
picture they saw in a comic and you or something and you go <laughs> you know you're actually standing with and talking to someone who's been studying this shit for yeah. a long time um and why would you believe you know a, a video game over me but you know that's i get that can get a little bit a yeah. uh, little bit stressful at times yeah it's like that one photo that keeps getting trotted out to say that american paratroopers had beards it's like yeah oh no. uh, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that, you know the one that i mean i yeah. know exactly the one you mean yeah I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So we've talked a little bit about Saving Private Ryan already. So how accurate is it, really? Is it, is, is it accurate in terms of you know, equipment, what happened, the narration, or just in terms of you know, the feel of things? It's a mixed bag. Really. I think I always say emotionally, I think Saving Private Ryan gets it right. I mean, I've sat and watched it with veterans. I've mm. talked to veterans who are on Omaha Beach about the movie, some of them who almost kind of played in the movie because they drew from real people's stories to create the story yeah. they made yeah. for the movie. And in terms of the sound effects, the the general feeling of helplessness, because a plan can be going well, but you as part of it can feel that it's completely a lost cause and hopeless and helpless. And and and, and in that regard, I think Savion Pratt-Ryan does a, a very good job. What it doesn't do so well is, well, the beach is too small. It's like a 50-yard yes. bit of beach they've got to run up, and it would have been like three or 400 yards at low tide. Um, the bunkers, the weaponry is all pointing out to sea when, in fact, as I said, it was kind of enfilading. The, some of the obstacles are the wrong way round. There's kind of other – oh, and, and they miss yeah. out. They omit the houses, that the, the whole western end of – sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. The whole western end of Omaha Beach was a, a pre-war and still is a kind of a tourist village and it has hotels and casinos and those hotels and casinos albeit no one was in them on the morning of june yeah. the 6th 44 were still there all boarded up there are houses along the kind of what we would call in britain a promenade and the movie makers said well geez we can't put those houses in there because it'll it'll ruin the, the fear effect when you see the ramp go down you see this craggy gray coast which of course is island where they yeah. filmed it and and barbed wire machine guns and what they didn't want to get across is that actually they were coming ashore in front of buildings so they had to make these changes historically yeah. so when as a tour guide i'm there the elephant in the room is seven prior rhyme because if you don't mention it they're going to so in my case i kind of deal with it head on at the beginning and say okay let's just run through how seven prior rain ryan visualizes the beach and explain why they made that change, why it is and how you can't convey the full scale on a movie screen. And then when I've got that through to my group, I'll say, okay, now let's, let's look at the actual history. And then we, then we move on. But if you don't, 
If you don't address it, you know mm, that no yes. matter whether there are, you know, a, a, a lieutenant general who's serving in American military day or a 17 year old kid, you know, that part of what they're doing is they're playing that 20 minutes in their head on their memory reel. And you, you, so you have to use it as you guys know, movie imagery and even even you guys when with your with your living history you can by acting something out in 10 minutes give people a, a an impression of something that reading three books won't do that's the power of of the combination yeah. of vid- visuals and audio that you can create a memory hmm. that the books don't do so we have to just acknowledge the fact the movie isn't great but it's there so we we yeah. deal with it yeah you can't yeah. not talk about it it's such a exactly. huge shadow over the entire event you know to be to be fair to them they may have you know they they may have removed some buildings battle of the bulge removed the entire ardennes forest yes yes yeah Yeah. Yeah. classic in movie and and, and the kind of the mountains and and crags and yeah yeah um yeah let's not let's not go down that path they're making a film though we have to give some allowances i suppose And yeah. to be honest, if if you watch that opening scene on Saving Private Ryan, or if you're if you if you watch Band of Brothers, or if you watch The Longest Day, and it makes you think, well, actually, I'll 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 go and learn the reality, then then they've done their job and they've done their job well. Yeah, uh, I've always thought, and and I think they that you know to, to you know that you brought me on to talk about this 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 rage about Omaha being a disaster and. And and Saving Private Ryan was was it was part of the story. Story they wanted to have that desperate scene, so that they could reinforce this idea of saving one guy from the to take him yeah. out of this terrible theatre of war where people get killed. So it was, if they had shown, because the silly thing is, is that the, the Ryan they go to rescue is a paratrooper who was therefore behind Utah Beach. So theoretically, if you were going to send someone to rescue someone who's behind Utah Beach, you would do so from Utah Beach being three or four miles away rather than Omaha Beach, which is a 15. But had they started with the scenes on Utah Beach where things didn't go quite as badly, it wouldn't have conveyed the the story they're trying to do. It wouldn't have set the tone. So, So even though they knew what they were doing was illogical it had to go that way for storytelling purposes yeah, yeah. for narrative yeah that's fair. pacing and character development all those all those yeah, film all those things that are important and yeah but you know but going back to this idea about the, the, the my rage about the disaster again when people i i see it all the time i take people there and these are sometimes people that i've taken to utah beach in the morning or they've written to they've been to gold or saw me the day before and they've understood that those beaches also had their difficulties and their problems and had positions to be overcome. But it's Omaha is where they have this emotional reaction. It's Omaha where the, the bottom lips quiver and, the, and they, they feel this sense of awe. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder whether it's the geography of the, lo- of the location, because Omaha has a sort of a, you know, the curve of the bay and the bluffs up there and the sun, perhaps the sunrises and sunsets look better there than mm-hmm. they do on sword. I don't know, but it's all part of this idea. And, and hanging, looming in their in their in their frame of reference is this idea that it's a disaster. And, and what I what I then try and do is say, well, what do you mean by a disaster? Because men being killed in a military operation is not a disaster. That that's an accepted fact. You're not going to do a landing against a fortified coast where the Germans have been building preparations for two years and expect no one to die. And sometimes I will use the example of of Atu, the you know the Lucians you know, a year earlier when the Americans and Canadians landed there, and very briefly 
mixed force of 20 or thousand Americans and Canadians landed uh, mm-hmm. on a Japanese held island. And at the end of the day, a couple of hundred were dead. Well, the truth is the Japanese had left. They'd gone several weeks earlier. The 200 that died did so because they, they fell into what I call shit happens. There's friendly fire incidents. People fall out of landing craft. Aircraft crash. People have heart attacks. People just get squidged by a landing craft ramp hitting them on the head. So when we go to Omaha Beach and you're landing 30,000 men, many of whom are carrying automatic weapons, who are jumping off of landing craft that have weapons, that are behind off ships that have weapons that are firing, with aircraft overhead dropping bombs, then add the Germans firing at those uh, arriving troops. Of course, some people are going to die. That's that's how it's it's going to unfold. The the, the reality is yeah. is are the, the casualty figures within the acceptable mm. parameters of what the ally the price the allies are prepared to pay for, to get their foothold in Europe. And I can guarantee you, if you had been in Eisenhower's bedroom that night when he's finally going to bed after how many hours he'd been on his feet there after chain smoking his way through 80 cigarettes a day and how many coffees he was having having that day, is that when he had got, they wouldn't have known the estimates of the dead by then, but and it probably would have been higher than it actually was. He would have been breathing a sigh of relief. We're in. 156,000 men landed on those five beaches and about 10,000 were killed and wounded, which is amazing. We should be talking about Omaha Beach as part of a collective successful event, not a disaster. Yeah. Again, it's not about the loss of those individuals, those 900 or so families who received the telegram that their son, their brother, their, their husband has been killed. It's tragic from their point of view. Yeah, because that doesn't matter if it's ten thousand or one. If it's your one, yeah, that that is that is the tragedy. But that itself, as you rightly say, doesn't make a military operation disastrous. It's yeah, you have parameters. Uh, that neatly leads me into kind of the next uh, the next questions that I've got, which is: Do you think with all with, with all the visual imagery that we've talked about um, that? Omaha Beach suffers from a certain amount of, say, um, relativity, where it's it's compared with other beaches using wildly different visual cues. Yeah. We talked Saving yeah. Private Ryan. So if you say, talk to people about Omaha Beach, you'll think of that ramp going down, Tom Hanks, I'll see you on the beach, and just that explosion of blood and death and gore and, uh, and everything. And yet if you think of Sword Beach, you think of that classic d-day primary footage of him literally just opening the door and stepping out and they just wade across shore and you would think it was done unopposed and of course then you've got utah beach where the completely where where they all blew off course and moved out of the artillery range and got a lot less and he thinks just because uh, because that sort of stuff isn't seen and doesn't happen uh, on omaha is it is it an unfair comparison that's making out omaha to be a worse place than it was it's completely an unfair comparison because a movie screen can only show one thing at a time. And yes, the absolute first wave landings on Utah suffered uh, fewer people killed than the first wave landings on on Omaha. But as part of the seventh core landings on Utah are the paratroopers, 82nd and 101st. They're part of the force. And they are dying in their dozens, if not hundreds in land, keeping the Germans away from that beach. But you can't, you can't have both of those images in your head at the same time. Well, you should do. And we, try, mm-hmm. we as tour guys try and remind people when we're talking about 
okay, things are going well on Utah, but the reason as they move across the flooded causeways towards the high ground, they're not being mown down in their in their hundreds is because the paratroopers up beyond them have done the job of killing the Germans. So, and in doing so, some of them have been killed. And then also the 4th Infantry who landed on Utah within the next six weeks has suffered some of the worst losses of any division in Normandy because they're pushing up towards Cherbourg through crappy terrain and a kind of third of their men killed or wounded over the next six weeks. So we're seeing we're seeing a, a window of a few hours of one day, which is actually not part of the greater context. But kind of in summary, is this then one of those kind of Titanic Braveheart issues where one reference is getting cited all the damn time? You know, are we... Are we stuck with this narrative for all eternity, no matter what we say? Is the world determined to believe this? Or can we convince them otherwise? And if so, how? I think the the the, the glass is half empty part of me thinks we're kind of stuck with it. Uh, and the glass is half full part of me thinks we can change it, but we're not going to change it for everybody. It's like... It's like what you're doing with this podcast, what I'm doing with YouTube. You know, we're not reaching millions, but maybe we're reaching hundreds. But those hundreds will maybe come away with a different understanding of, of the aspect that you talk about or I talk about. You know, you you can't win the war, but maybe you can win an individual battle. And I think that's the thing. It's the job of, of all of us, tour guides, podcasters, authors, TV channel uh programmers to to kind of sing from the, the same hymn sheet and try and get across the, the reality of these things but the thing is that the, the 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 suffering on omaha beach has become a powerful trip one of the things that, that i another thing i rage about if i could have a second one oh go right ahead <laughs> is, is that for example that facebook particularly that someone will post some photo of of american troops in world war ii and, and some of it's not even from d-day but it's labeled as d-day and it will say these are men on their way to to their deaths on Omaha Beach. And actually, maybe it's a photo from Operation Torch, or it's a photo of reinforcements coming in two days later. Or it's a photo of Great Central Railway's 40s weekend. That yes, it could well and be white. that. Yes. Yes. And, but, uh, but once a certain number of people have said on that thread, oh, God bless those brave boys, or those people died to make the world a better place, a historian who comes in being a professional amateur saying actually that photo wasn't taken on june the 6th it was taken in, and you do it and when i type that i know it's they're reading it in that kind of know-it-all voice of did you know that photo isn't actually there you can't then you you then become the bad guy so many times i have gone onto these threads and said actually that photo isn't taken there and then you become the 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 the, the, the idiot because you're now treading on the memory of the brave men who died and i think that's the interesting thing is is there's a need for the US to sort of hold on to this idea of Omaha being a tragedy because they can then build on this tragedy in the Seven Pride Ryan way to have the victory later on. The victory over of Germany later was sweeter because the losses on Omaha Beach were were, were there. And yet, as we know, they weren't actually that high, comparatively speaking, but yeah, the need for them to be the need for it to be tragic, somehow in narrative terms, has has meant that the idea does need to be perpetuated. Didn't explain that very well, but I think I knew what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you meant. I knew where you were going. And you know, when you get truly ragey, then uh, then it's easy to lose control. Um, I would ask you just to do me a favor, if you would, Paul. And that's why when you're on your next. Uh, Normandy tours will you please just take care of a rage for me then and that is that 
a cricket sounds nothing like a cocking of a rifle. Will you please get that message out for me? Yeah, no, I don't know where that one comes from. I mean, obviously we know it that comes from the longest, longest day. day you know? I don't know where that ever ever idea came ever, was ever originated. It's there's a whole lot of things. I could do a whole list of things that you go. So where does this come from? And you try and find out. One of them you see read all the time is that there is a. Uh, uh, a standard order within the American military that only one Medal of Honor per per division. And you go, well, where did that start? Yeah, I've read but... that so many times. A, it's not true because some divisions got more than one. But why would a, a at some higher? Why would George Marshall have a meeting where we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put a limit on bravery now, lads? Yeah. <laughs> only one. Why would that be a thing? Why would? It makes no sense, and yet it gets repeated. And we're in that situation, as you are with the work you do in other periods of history, is that tropes endure, myths endure. It doesn't matter how many academics tell people that Napoleon wasn't short, you know. The world has decided he was short. And and and, and so D-Day starts with the losses on Omaha Beach, and that's kind of how it is. And it's always going to, well, I think it's always going to overshadow the other four beaches, and I think we just have to play those cards really and 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 move through that and say okay that is why people think what that is what people think how can we now use that to to kind of get them back on the right track and 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 harness their enthusiasm for the subject and then turn it to the real history yeah it's not a bad thing people like saving private ryan and like call of duty and all those other things it just needs to be focused yeah, it's it's the entry, it's the entry, isn't it? You know that every you know we're we're talking today, what three days, four days after Forgotten Battle came out about the Shell Estuary, and I kind of watched it, and it was, I was expecting more, and it didn't quite. Like, I don't know if I dare I watch wanting, it yet. but it was all right. You know, <laughs> people yeah. will pick up some books, yeah. hopefully some of them, and they'll go, okay. I thought there were more than a hundred Canadians yeah. involved in that, and they'll find out. You know, so yeah, <laughs> that's. So, um, what have you got planned for the future for both yourself and World War Two TV? Well, very simply, I, I will have to make a decision early next year as whether I continue with World War Two TV kind of as my main thing and mm-hmm. do guiding as a secondary thing, or whether the bills have stacked up enough that I have to go back into guiding and, and do World War Two TV as a secondary thing. I, I'd like to carry on with the YouTubing because I'm really enjoying it and I'm loving the fact I'm tackling more than one subject because with guiding there's a lot of repetition you although it's the first time the 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 group are hearing it it's not the first time you've told that story and so i'm liking the fact that now i do a show once and the next day it's something different and the next week it's another different subject and i've kind of got excited by that so i'm hoping i'll be able to carry on but of course as you know as you guys know you know you've got to get the assistance financially because you know i'm putting my stuff out there free on youtube and I ask for patrons to, to help me and I, and I have got a lot of patrons, but you know, it, it's not quite enough yet with the money I'm paying out on Google ads and software and this, that, the other, it's not really yeah. it's paying for itself. It's not really earning me a living. Yeah. So my, my future is kind of up yeah. in the air, really. I'm kind of depending on my viewers as to which way, whether they support me more, I'll carry on doing this. If, if it's at the same level it is now, I will go into some guiding again. It's I, I will see. Um, mm. I think we're, we're. I feel that we're. If we're going to use the movie analogy, is that alas, I feel there's like a final twist in the COVID movie that we haven't quite seen yet. Unfortunately, I yeah. think we, we think we're getting to the end, and, I, and maybe we are, but I, I, I'm not sure we are 
quite through the final twist yet. So we'll see. Um, but, well, hopefully our market still stays there then. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, and this is the, this is the revolution of of this of this interactivity online way means of sharing history is is, is really so exciting and. Uh, and I think the public will have a much more of an expectation about being able to communicate with their favorite authors and historians. And it won't be a, a, a people talking at an audience. It'll be talking people talking with their audience and the people like Peter Gaddick mm. Adams and James Holland, and all these other people that, you, that you, you know and I know that the last year and a half, they've had way more contact with their public than ever before. And that's going to be a good, a good thing. So I think we'll all be part of that. What will be next? I don't know. Well, but I think next year, potentially very exciting. Well, um, thank you very much for that, Paul. I mean, that's given us both a huge range of issues to both read up about and learn more about, even when we're so heavily invested in in D-Day as it is already. If you'd like to see more of Paul's thoughts and his work, then you can follow him on Twitter at WW2TV. And also, as we say, subscribe to the YouTube channel, WW2TV, and we'll put links for those both of those into the show notes and the YouTube channel airs its episodes and live streams on most days currently. So we'll hope you'll join. We'll certainly join. I hope you do too. So once again, Paul, thanks very much for joining us and sharing your inner rage. Thank you. I've had a lot of time and I I want the blood pressure is now (laughs) subsiding down. I'll I'll go and have a whiskey and yeah, it's um, it's good to get it off my chest. Thanks for giving me the platform. It's a a good, it's a good (laughs) medium. It's cheaper than therapy, isn't it? <laughs> we like to keep our historians yes. healthy in that fact. We're doing our bit for your mental health. Yes. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter if you like. I am at Paul Bavel. And I'm at Kyle G History. And you can leave comments, thoughts, and please send your own rages because we want to know what you wish people would just stop believing. And you can use the hashtag HistoryRage. If you've enjoyed our work, please subscribe, follow us, Leave us a review on Apple, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program 
for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.